Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, and guess what? The Golden State Warriors season is officially over. They took the L in the final play-in game at the hands of the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies will be advancing to play the Utah Jazz in the real playoffs, and the Warriors will be going home trying to figure out how to get better for next season. You know, even though we didn't have the highest expectations this one still definitely, definitely hurts. It stings. It's not as bad as losing in the finals. Uh, we didn't think that the Warriors had a very high ceiling and credit to the Grizzlies for playing well, sticking to their game plan, taking advantage of the Warriors' mistakes and hitting clutch shots. So they won that game fair and square. And just like the Lakers game, definitely, because this was actually a sudden death game, even if it wasn't the playoffs, it felt like the playoffs. I was on three different text threads during this whole game, and it was just like my thumbs were getting tired going back and forth and experiencing this game like all virtually talking to a bunch of people. It was intense, you know, it was kind of fun. It was like old times, right? Like games mattered, this game mattered. And you take a step back and you think like, was this season a failure? That's something I want to get into more in a bit, but first I just want to quickly talk about the game. It was revealed that Steph actually didn't just have a tailbone contusion this season. He had a hairline fracture in his tailbone, and that sounds way more painful. I mean, come on, man. Like, I get it. It's likely that Nikola Jokic is going to win the MVP, but for all that Steph did this season, carrying this team with that awkward, awkward, painful injury. Goddamn, man. To me, that dude is the real MVP. Obviously, I'm biased, but even looking at it objectively to see what he's pulled off, come on. And it's too bad that the Warriors lost a lot of close games and coughed up a bunch of leads throughout the season because if the Warriors had landed in the sixth spot, maybe you know, sixth or fifth spot, he'd have a better argument to some of these Jokic voters. But 
it is what it is. And to steal a joke from my friend Aram in Toronto, if LeBron had this injury, he would have come out into the post-game presser with a butt cast. This game, it just had a bad vibe from the start. And I'm not really talking about just the opening run, the opening salvo from the Grizzlies, but it was like the way the Warriors carried themselves. They just seemed low energy. Against the Lakers, the Warriors played tons of minutes. Their main guys, like Steph and Draymond, they played 41 minutes. Wiggins, he played 39. So those dudes were tired. They had exhausted legs. And to me, it's like, wow, I wonder how a beat-up recovering LeBron with ankle issues and a beat-up Anthony Davis would have fared in this kind of turnaround. Maybe they would have won. Maybe they would have struggled. Maybe they would have lost. Who knows? But anyway, the Warriors, they just missed shots. They had tons of turnovers, missed layups. I mean, all that is because of tiredness and whatever. Tired legs, tired mind, lack of focus. You could see when Steph wasn't hitting his shots early that like something was just off, you know, and obviously those kinds of shots come from your legs first. And yes, the argument has been made and I addressed this last time that the Memphis Grizzlies also played and they had to travel. They played the Spurs the same night before the Warriors played the Lakers. But I mean, come on, basically you're looking at the Grizzlies and <laughs> what John Moran's like, what, 20, <laughs> 21 years old, Steph is 33, been carrying this team, been beat up all season, runs around, gets held all the time. And then you have a 31-year-old Draymond Green who's beat up this season and beat up over the years, is an underside center who guarded Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond and whomever else was in the Lakers front court. Montrez Harrell, LeBron James, the Grizzlies are just younger. And the talent drop-off after John Morant is less severe than when you drop the talent from Steph, Draymond, and even Wiggins. I mean, I think that's legitimate. And it's not an excuse. It's just the reality of when you watch the Warriors play, they just were gassed. I don't think Steph was playing with less urgency. I don't think Draymond was. I don't think Wiggins was. But Wiggins missed a bunch of layups, a bunch of shots that he normally would make. And when you don't have your legs, your rhythm, your timing is off. You shoot long. You try to compensate and you and you put a little too much on your shots. Subtle, but that's all it takes. The Grizzlies just have better depth and they're not so top heavy with their talent. They played 10 guys. The Warriors played their eight. And after the first half, Mulder, it was like, okay, he's not playable. So they basically played seven guys for the second half. Curry played 47 minutes, Draymond played 45, Wiggins played 44. They battled, but the Warriors just, they couldn't get over the hump. And it always felt like they were chasing, right? Like I was hoping that maybe the Warriors would get a lead and these young Grizzlies would fold under the pressure that they would get rattled. But hey, their coach probably told them, he probably saw the vulnerability and said like, hey, just weathered the storm. These guys are gassed and they will just eventually run out of steam. And they did. The Warriors did throughout the game. But because they have Steph, they have Draymond, and they have that championship DNA we always talk about, they came back and made a game of it and were in a complete position to win the game. The second unit in the second quarter, they let go of the rope. So you knew that second unit going into the fourth was going to have a very, very short leash. And you knew that Steph wasn't going to get that much rest. And he got none. 
I haven't really read anything about the game because it was still too, the wound was still too raw, but I'm pretty sure he played the whole second half in overtime. I personally thought that the Warriors would have to get either Jonas Valanciunas or Dylan Brooks in foul trouble again, if not fouled out. But I kind of figured that it wouldn't be Brooks because, you know, in his mind, like I guarantee after the last game, when he did foul out, that he was like, oh man, we had these guys. And if I didn't foul out, we would have won. He played smarter. But ultimately, Jonas Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson Jr. both gotten into foul trouble. And I thought that that would be big for the Warriors because, you know, they could just take advantage of that. They didn't have the big bodies in the middle, but the Warriors could not take advantage of it. And actually, the Grizzlies took advantage of it because that Tillman guy, (laughs) he hit that three-point shot that was just a killer in overtime. And he played really, really well. Again, depth. And in terms of the refs and Scott Foster, that was not an issue that didn't come into play. There were questionable calls both ways. I personally think that both Jackson and Valanciunas got some raw deals on their calls, but, you know, so it goes. And it's kind of funny. Jonas Valanciunas, when that guy gets a foul called on him, man, he looks like really, really hurt and offended. And his protests are actually kind of funny. But yeah, There were just tons of turnovers in this game. 21 turnovers is just not going to cut it. In contrast, the Grizzlies, they had 13. I mean, that's a lot of opportunities that you miss out on and that you give up to your opponent when you lose by five. And John Morant, he hit a couple clutch shots, but I will say that in the first half, when Steve Kerr didn't challenge that one blatantly bad call, on Steph, that ended up hurting them because Steph in overtime had five fouls. He was guarding John Morant. Morant drove and put up a shot in the key and Steph had to back off. He didn't challenge him because he was afraid to get a sixth foul. Maybe Morant hits that shot no matter what, but if you go back and look at it, Steph kind of just steps back. And I don't blame him because you can't foul out in that situation. But that gives Morant a chance to just get an easy open shot, and you just have to move on from that. Ultimately, Kerr did use his challenge on a foul call on Draymond Green, where he clearly made contact with Jaron Jackson Jr., and it was just a judgment call. Jaron Jackson went up for the shot. Draymond made contact with his arm, wasn't straight up. It is what it is, you know, but it's just a small detail that I was like, ah, man, Steph was not trying to foul out, and he just gave that to John Morant. Overall, they were just tired and sloppy, and it was a letdown game, man. It was a trap game in a way because not only were they physically tapped, they were probably a little bit emotionally and mentally tapped as well. And that is not always a question of desire. Sometimes you're just a little mentally beat up. I felt like the 2019 Toronto series in the finals to me a little bit where they fought and they battled, but you felt during the game that at the end they wouldn't have enough, that they couldn't get over the hump. And when they made a run, the other team would just react to it. I mean, we had a chance to win. The Warriors got the last shot. For some reason, though, Steph kind of just jogged the ball up, right? He was facing a double team and with what, maybe they had like seven, eight seconds or something like that. And he dribbled up and passed it to Dre, who was wide open top of the key with like four-ish seconds left. And Draymond, for great as he is as a playmaker, that's not exactly 
how he thrives and flourishes with four seconds left. And the Grizzlies, they had dropped off of him to defend like the lobs, the dunker spot, and Draymond drove and put up a floater and it just missed really badly. And so it goes. But yeah, the Warriors, they had a chance. They put themselves in a position to win. They had a chance in overtime and they had a bit of a lead. And again, they just let go of the rope a little bit. That Jordan Poole turnover, I mean, that was a killer. I mean, that was his only turnover though. So I'm not going to get all up on him about that. And that is not the singular mistake in the game that cost them the game. But it was definitely like a backbreaker at that point in time. But hey, the Warriors single-handedly made the play-in must-see TV. They went down to the wire twice. And I'm sure there's definitely a part of the NBA brass that wishes, just like I do, that the Warriors moved on. I would have loved to have seen what Steph could do against Utah. Probably would have lost, but... If they could have pushed it to six, who knows? As thin as the Warriors were, you know, they probably would have lost game one, which was a quick turnaround on Sunday. But game two would have been on a Wednesday. They would have had two full days to rest, but it's neither here nor there because it's over. Now, was this season a failure? We all knew from the beginning of the season, once Clay tore his Achilles, that they were not a title contender. You could have deluded yourself early on, but after you saw a couple games, you just knew. They would improve, hopefully, but they were not going to be at that caliber. So for me, as I've said many times, it was always about next season, next season. And success for this season was making the play-in, getting into the playoffs, having a little fun, and scaring people. I never expected them to get past the first round at a certain point. After the Lakers game, I said, you know, the only way this season could be a failure is if they do lose to the Grizzlies. And honestly, like looking at it now, I mean, that's a minor, minor failure. It was largely because they'd gone on this streak of winning and they'd found a bit of an identity as a small ball team. It would have sucked to just have it all fizzle out in the playing game and not get into the playoffs. But like I said, that's that's kind of a minor failure when you're looking big picture and you know, bottom line, like that's what we've been looking at all season long. It's always been about the big picture, the future contending for a title next season. What you lose is the opportunity to see Steph do more crazy shit in the playoffs, the opportunity to see Draymond green be playoff Draymond and the chance to give young guys and new guys like Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, Juan Toscano Anderson, to give those guys playoff minutes, get them more intense, high-pressure stakes reps. That's critical moving forward. But at least they got a taste of it. And a taste of these intense games is better than nothing, I guess. And we saw, actually, how Wiggins and Poole react to these games, even JTA. So that is all promising. I'd say that the other kind of failure of the season is not developing James Wiseman largely because of just how much time he missed. And then ultimately he missed the rest of the season. So that's an incomplete. If you want to give it a grade, when you take a step back, I think that this season is a goddamn success. All things considered. First of all, you came out of the playing round with no injuries, which 
is solid, but what we found out is huge. We found out that Steph is still MVP caliber. I think most people who knew expected this. He took a year off. He recharged. And I've had this talk with my friend Aram a ton of times that we did miss a few years of peak Steph during the Kevin Durant years and that he would still be in his prime and have more in his bag when he came back. So Steph proved that he's still peak Steph and that he can lead a team and that this team is a title contender. We saw that Draymond Green is still a defensive player of the year caliber player. We saw that he can bring it still. It'd be great if he could hit a couple more shots, but hey. And just as important, we saw what Jordan Poole can do. And that changes a lot. If he can be the sixth man that we've all thought in recent weeks for next season, an instant offense guy, I mean, that's huge. Because before it was like, maybe Kelly Oubre will come off the bench and be a sixth man. But Jordan Poole does so much more. He's not as good defensively. He's not as big, but he's a better shooter. He's a better creator. He's a more instinctual player. He runs off screens. He plays in the system well with Steph. That's big because now that you have that, it gives you more flexibility in terms of trying to fill out the rest of this roster. We saw what Andrew Wiggins could be when the stakes are high. And even though he didn't have a good game and he missed a bunch of shots, we saw the intensity. We saw the force. We saw the aggression against the Lakers and in recent weeks. And Juan Scott Anderson. I mean, I've talked a lot about that dude. He's solid. He'll be in the rotation. And that's good. And we found out that Kelly Oubre is, you know, likely not worth it. The only question is, will they keep his salary slot somehow in a sign-in trade? Or will he just walk? But who knows? If he also sees that the market is not so hot on him, maybe he'll come back for less. But honestly, I just don't see it. Because if he didn't want to come off the bench before... Now, he's not even looking at being sixth man. So seventh, eighth, ninth man, I just don't see him wanting to do that. I see him, if he was going to take anything, he would probably just take a similar deal with a chance of being a sixth man or starting somewhere. I don't know if anyone wants him as a starter. I don't know if there's any small forward slots open for him, but those minutes are pretty much eaten up on this Warriors roster next season by Clay, Wiggins, Poole. As a business decision, it's probably not a good idea for him to come back. And, you know, the rest of the roster I have no attachment to at this point. You know who they all are, except for maybe Nico Mannion. Still on Nico Mannion Island, but I'm guessing that dude will be in the G League on a two-way. So that's cool. What else? By the simple fact that the Warriors played well, that Steph and Dre showed who they are, that Clay is going to be coming back, that Poole and Wiggins showed what they can do. I mean, you're starting to see this team as a potential contender, right? Especially with Wiseman coming back. He will be better. The question is how much, but he will be better. This showed, this advertised to free agents and players who want to be traded, potentially ranked chasers, that the Warriors can contend, that they are right up there. The core ain't washed yet. And if the Warriors can somehow get a couple of solid rotation vets who fit well, within their systems on both sides of the ball, then we're talking, right? This tail end of the season, these performances probably make people go, oh, all right, well, you know what? (laughs) They are actually viable. (laughs) 
but the Warriors, yeah, I'll get into this more during the offseason, but they really, really need like dudes who can get to the line more often, even if it's off the bench, just to punish other teams by getting into the bonus earlier. I mean, honestly, they could use a Tillman type or an Isaiah Stewart type, just a bruiser. I mean, my friend Aram in Toronto, he loves bruisers. And the Warriors, because they're so small ball and Wiseman was out, and right now he's not the most physical dude, even for his size, having that kind of guy would be huge. Again, in roster construction, you got to think that pretty much everyone except for the core is available. I mean, obviously I'm high on pool at this point, just like everyone else, as well as Wiggins, but as well as those guys have played, hey, I don't want to get rid of them. I don't want to trade them, but both of them up their trade value. And if someone wants them in the right package, then you got to think about it, right? I'm not saying to shop them, but you have to think big in terms of how to maximize Steph's time now. I'm not saying they will, but you got to be open-minded. I mean, these guys, the Warriors, they'll be better next year, but just like, let's look at their bench. It was all dudes who touched the G League to some extent, even the guys who didn't play, right? So JTA played in the G League. Michael Mulder played in the G League. Jordan Poole was rejuvenated this season by playing in the G League. Smilagic, G League. Jordan Bell, journeyman, had to play in the G League. <laughs> Gary Payton the second. G League, Nico Mannion, G League, Damian Lee, G League. Again, it's not like the worst thing in the world, but it just tells you how this roster is constructed, how it's so top heavy. And they pulled everything they could out of their bench at this point. I mean, the only person who didn't play in the G League was Eric Paschal. And we all kind of see the writing on the wall with him that he probably doesn't fit in their future plans. I mean, he's cheap, so maybe you want to hold on to him. But if you make any deals, He's definitely somebody that you will likely include because he has talent. He just doesn't fit with the Warriors system and their current roster of power forwards and centers. In terms of James Wiseman, man, I, I love that dude. I think he still has a really, really high ceiling and I defend him against anyone. And I can only see them trading him if they don't have any other choice because he's injured. He had a rough season. So it's pretty clear that they won't get fair value, that they'll be selling low on him. And I think that they would only do that if they had no other choice. Like if someone was like, we'll give you this guy or this guy, but we need Wiseman. And if Steph kind of leans into that and he puts pressure, however he puts pressure, we don't know. But if he puts pressure and they're desperate, then I could see them moving Wiseman. Anyway, man, it's been a hell of a season. I can't believe I actually did podcast episodes for 74 Warriors games this year. Like I've said before, I started this because I miss basketball. I miss Warriors basketball. And while there were some mediocre nights and subpar efforts by the Warriors, I just love talking about these dudes. And I can't wait to talk about them more. I mean, the great thing about the NBA now is that there is no offseason. I mean, technically, yes, but it's a year-round thing, right? Luckily, I could take a bit of a break and not do game-by-game episodes in this compacted season, but looking forward to diving into some of these later lottery pick options. You know, the Warriors now are in the lottery. They have, I believe, with their own pick, a 2.4% chance of getting a top five pick, a 0.5 or 0.6 chance of getting the number one pick in Cade Cunningham. And with the Minnesota pick, they have a 9% chance of getting the fourth pick. So there's a chance it's slim, but 
it's time to start looking at the late lottery after the top five and seeing who can help the Warriors now, whether that's trading the picks or drafting people with like win now skills, drafting older college players who have less upside, but can come in and contribute and not get shook. But yeah, I'm gonna take a little bit of a break, reflect on some things, rejigger some stuff, and then, you know, come back with some weekly episodes longer, more topical episodes with friends and other guests and stuff and talk about what we all love to talk about almost to the point of irrationality, which is Warriors, Hoops, and basketball in general. I'll be watching the playoffs kind of in a cursory manner. I don't know who I'm pulling for just yet. I'm thinking it's the Sixers, but definitely somebody in the East. Anyway, Thank you for listening this season, no matter how many of these episodes you listen to, whether it's one or all 74, plus all the ones I did with Vubang and Aram. But I hope you continue to listen, rate, review, and share this podcast with your fellow Warrior fan friends. Anyway, this has been another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Epino or at Oakland Warriors. Check us out at OaklandWarriors.com and be sure to tell your fellow Warrior fan friends to subscribe and listen. The Oakland Warriors podcast is produced by National Film Society. That's it. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time.